Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. We're going to be delving uh, into the second week of our witness series this morning. So reach inside your program and pull out your Crosswalk notes. And also, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you did, open up to Acts chapter 8. That's where we'll be reading from in just a moment. You know, I hope, I hope you recognize there that Randy just exemplified one of our crosswalk values. In fact, the, the, the last crosswalk value, when he was talking about the heat lifting, hope, persevere always, never give up. Man, I, you know, to hope that that's going to really happen after all these weeks of 110 degrees, that's really exemplifying the value. Has it been uncomfortable or what this week? Oh, my goodness. How many of you are ready for August to really be fully gone and not even have any bleed over into September? I know I am. Ugh. You know, living in a community like, like uh, we do in Levine and still having a little bit of farming activity going on along Dobbins, it really gives a whole new take to, uh, to heat and what it does. I was driving past the dairy the other day and uh, talked to the, the dairyman who owns the dairy and he was struggling because his cows are now giving evaporated milk instead of regular milk. And it's, it's just tough out there. I drove past a, a, a cornfield and the, the corn was popping on the stalks. It was, it was bad, really bad. Whew, and I was uncomfortable. I'll bet you were too. You know, it's kind of interesting about being uncomfortable, isn't it? Because I think most of us, for the most part, we, w- we would like to be comfortable. It's why we have a-, a little bit less people in the auditorium today because probably a good part of the city is somewhere up around Flagstaff today and enjoying, you know, 15, 20, 25 degree temperatures cooler than what we're experiencing here. So kudos to all of you for hanging in there and being here this morning. We're going to try to pump up the air conditioning for you. Hope you brought your sweaters. Here's a couple of questions that I want us to ask ourselves this morning. And you can write these down. Am I too comfortable? You know, it's, it's easy to get too comfortable, isn't it? Even though I think right now we'd say, I love a little bit of comfortable uh, when it comes to the temperatures. I also know of people who've been, say, for example, in a job for a little while, and they've been working at it, and they're at, their, at that point where it's really not very challenging for them anymore. It's gone from being in a groove to being in a rut. And they, they just feel too comfortable, and, and they want a challenge in their lives, right? And, and, and so even in a tough economy, They'll be out there putting their resume out. Uh, I've even known a a couple of friends uh, who have just taken the risk. They've left their old job and said, man, I'm too comfortable. i got to get out there and find myself something that will challenge me. So there are times when we can be too comfortable. The second question is, or am I too uncomfortable? You know, there are times also, aren't there, when in our lives we're faced with a lot of things, and man, is it hard. 
I know a, none of, a number of you right now are going through some health issues in your lives, and you're, you're going, wow, sleepless nights, it's tough right now, we don't know what the diagnosis is going to be, or we do know what the diagnosis is, and we don't know what the treatment's going to be, we don't know what the outcome is, all these questions running through our minds. Some of you are going through tough economic times, you're, you've lost your homes, or you've lost your jobs, and you're feeling decidedly uncomfortable right now, and there's a level of discomfort that gets to be toxic, isn't there? That just brings you down, takes your legs out from underneath you, and makes you feel like, I don't know if I can get through this. And, and that's being too uncomfortable. You know, God really wants us to be neither too comfortable nor too uncomfortable, doesn't he? For those who are going through really tough times in, our, in their lives, Jesus, for example, says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. And do you remember how he finishes that? And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will, I'll bring you comfort and peace in, in the middle of whatever you're going through in your life. And then on the other hand, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, If you want to follow me, if you want to come After me, take up your cross and follow me. I want to give you peace. I I I want to give you comfort in your troubles. But understand, I don't want you to become lackadaisical. I don't want you to just put down your tools and stop working and, 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 and say, you know what? I've been graced. I've been forgiven. I've got all that I need No, understand, Jesus says, that if you want to follow him and receive his grace, you also have to pick up the cross that he bore first for us, and you will carry crosses for Jesus. That's exactly what we're here to talk about this morning. In fact, look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 22 to 23. This is the Sermon on the Mount, and I want you to notice who he says is blessed. And in fact, this word in the Greek, blessed, also means happy. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their fathers treated the prophets. Really? I mean, look at what that really says. Blessed are you when men, circle this word, hate you. When they exclude you, circle that, and circle this one, insult you, and then, and then this one, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Now, this isn't talking about all sufferings here. The cross that Jesus talks is about when We are hated, excluded, insulted, and rejected because of the name of Jesus Christ. Because we follow Christ. Because we trust Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Jesus says, you can expect opposition. But he also says, you're blessed when you meet that opposition. And there will be opportunities for you 
in that opposition. And that's exactly what we find happens to the early disciples of Jesus in Acts chapter 8, where we're going to read this morning, is that they find blessing as they're opposed. They see opportunities in the opposition that they face. Let me set this up for you a little bit. What's happened between uh, last week's message where we had Peter and John heal the man at the entrance to the temple and he was leaping around for joy. And then, of course, the leaders of the Jews, the Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law, drag Peter and John before them. They interrogate them. But at at the end of the day, they, they send them away and say, don't teach anymore about this gospel of Jesus. And so they go out and they're okay. Sometime later, as the church continues to spread and grow exponentially in the city of Jerusalem, the the leaders of the Jerusalem congregation get so overwhelmed because they're trying to, to love on and help people that they choose seven deacons, seven leaders to take care of the practical affairs of just distributing food to the people who need it and and helping people with charity. One of those seven is a man named Stephen. And the Bible describes him as being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And as, obviously, as he's out there helping people, loving people, he's also teaching people about Jesus Christ. And this draws a lot of attention to him. One of the the synagogues in the city of Jerusalem actually begins to directly oppose Stephen himself. They, They target Stephen. And when they see that they can't really get leverage on him because of his words and their attacks are getting nowhere, they, they, they do an underhanded plot and they get some people to lie about Stephen. And uh, uh, what ends up happening is that Stephen, like Peter and John before him, also gets dragged before the leaders of the Jews, like Jesus before Peter and John. Only this time the outcome is quite different. Because at the end of the day, as Stephen boldly says, look, the person you crucified is the promised Messiah, the Savior, your Savior. Just as Peter had done at Pentecost, this so incenses and enrages these leaders in this synagogue that they start a riot and they begin to attack, and Stephen is stoned to death. He becomes the first Christian martyr for the faith. Talk about opposition and bearing a cross. And, and by the way, being stoned to death is one of the most painful ways that, that you can die. And yet, at the end of the day, while he's dying, Stephen looks up, and just as Jesus had done before him, asks the Heavenly Father to forgive those who had done this to him. And it's right here that we pick up the story because there was a young man there who was sort of the leader. And it says that as these men were stoning Stephen, they took off their coats and their cloaks and laid them at the feet of a man named Saul. This Saul, by the way, later on becomes the man we know as the apostle Paul. But right now, he is bent on persecuting the church. So let's take a look at what it says in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. It's in your crosswalk notes. And Saul, later the Apostle Paul, was there 
giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Can you imagine? What happens here is truly incredible. Stephen's death touches off a major persecution of Christians throughout the city of Jerusalem. And this is the main place where up till now in the book of Acts, we've been seeing the church grow powerfully uh, as the Holy Spirit has used the preaching and the teaching, the message of God's word, the gospel to to spread uh, Jesus into the hearts and minds of people throughout Jerusalem. And it tells us here, and and you can see this as as you look at it, verse 4, that those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see, it's interesting because this word that is used here for what Paul and the other persecutors do, it says, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the, the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. It's talking about this persecution. Go down to verse 3. But Saul began to destroy the church. That word destroy is the same word used for a lion or a pack of dogs with a fresh kill, ripping that fresh kill to pieces. This is what Saul was doing to the church. So talk about opposition. And yet that verse we just read, isn't this incredible? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. You see the beauty of this? I want you to write this down. When God allows opposition, God also gives opportunity. See, the church is in a great deal of discomfort, aren't they? And yet, just as Jesus had said, blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice and leap for joy These early disciples were living this out. And by the way, they were living it out really with no apostles looking over their shoulder. Because this tells us that the apostles remained behind in Jerusalem. 
where the persecution was the hottest so that they could stand up and be leaders and say, we're hanging in right here. And so they went out, regular, everyday people like you and me, they went out and began to teach people the word of God. And God gave them immense opportunities wherever they went. You know, I'm I'm reading this most interesting book right now. It's a study of early archaeology and history about this very period of time. And, and just in practical terms, beyond uh, you know, how the people got to spread the word, it, it talks about what was going on at that time. It talks about, for example, Roman cities. And if you watch modern-day movies about Roman cities, which were the model cities throughout the empire, including here in this area, you see what looked to be well-kept, wide streets, beautiful stone buildings. What archaeology and history really teach us is that those Roman cities probably looked a lot more like a shanty town that you'd find in Zambia or Zimbabwe or South Africa. And that maybe the, um, the only buildings were some of the public buildings that looked nice, but most of the building that was done there was stick construction with, mod, uh, with mud daubed on there. And, and so what would typically happen, because they also had no uh, sewer systems, they had the aqueducts, but often once the water arrived to the city, it became t- uh, tainted. What would happen is that disease would regularly spread throughout these c- cities, cholera, typhoid, there were, there were a lot of natural disasters that occurred. As we know from the time of Nero, fires would sometimes sweep through. Earthquakes would bring down these buildings. And, and there's one difference between these ancient Roman cities, apparently, and the, the modern shanty towns that we see on the TV. And that is that the Roman engineers did at least know how to build buildings five or six stories high, but they were still made out of wood and mud. And guess who lived on the, the top floor of these wood and mud tenement apartment buildings, the poorest people, because obviously as, as you uh, got the chance, you moved down because it was easier not to have to walk up so many steps, right? And the poorest people would often have the least amount of money to, to pay for their families to stay somewhere, so they would go up to these one-room apartments at the very top of the building, and they would be hugely crowded. Population density in early Roman cities is probably very similar to modern-day Calcutta or Delhi. So imagine the conditions, right? Now imagine that you're that person who's been living in Jerusalem, and you're scattered. Where do you go? You go to stay with family, extended family, or you go to stay with friends, and they're already overcrowded. And because they're already overcrowded, what do they say to you when you arrive at their door? What are you doing here? How long do you plan to stay? Why did you come? And what begins to happen? Well, we're here because back in Jerusalem, we're being persecuted. Can you take us in for just a little while? And so they would spread out through these cities, creating even more crowded condition. But in this horrible situation, 
there was an opportunity. Because imagine in that very crowded place where, where you're with family, friends, and loved ones, and you have a natural reason to talk about why you're there, how easy it would be to share the name of Jesus Christ and why you're there because of him. And that's exactly what began to happen. It's what Philip did. And, of course, living in very crowded conditions, you didn't want to stay in that one-room, fourth-floor apartment all day long. So you'd go out into the streets, into the marketplaces, where at least you hoped to get a little bit of fresh air. And those also became opportunities to share the gospel. And amazingly, this preaching of the gospel just began to spread like wildfire. And look what it says about Philip's teaching. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. What Philip was most interested in telling people about was the gospel, the good news of forgiveness of sins, the resurrection from the dead, the, the, the passing on of the gift that it's by grace alone, through faith, that we are forgiven, restored in our relationship to God, that we have eternal life. He began to preach the Christ and all that had happened. Do we, do we still sense that we have opportunities in our opposition today? You know, I think there are three times in... You can maybe write this somewhere down if you find a blank space on your crosswalk notes. When we're under tension, when we're in transition, when we're experiencing trouble, I like to call them the three T's, tension, transition, and trouble. That's, that's what these early disciples were experiencing, tension, transition, trouble. They used the opportunity of their own tension, transition, and trouble to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others because it was in Jesus Christ that they themselves found their comfort. All outward things were making them feel blisteringly uncomfortable. But deep in their hearts, they had the comfort that they knew that Jesus, the good shepherd, was walking with them through whatever they were going to experience. Do you remember the video that we showed? about three or four weeks ago. And how this amazing family that's going through so much, the mom has cancer, uh, the son has autism. A number of you commented on that video and how amazing this family was. I wanna, I wanna just repeat and show you a, a small portion, about a minute segment of that same video. I don't normally repeat videos, but watch how this family, even today, like these early disciples, finds opportunity in the opposition that they face. I have a little boy who is blind and has autism, growth hormone deficiency. He doesn't eat well. He doesn't sleep well. My wife lives with stage four cancer in her body. And I have a hope, and I have a future, and I have a rock, and I cling to my Jesus.
Jesus loves the little children. Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world. Ran in yellow, black and white. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Man, some stories are worth hearing twice, aren't they? Talk about opposition, and there are many forms of opposition in our lives. And, and to be able to take the opposition that we face and allow the Holy Spirit to turn that into an opportunity, that's what this family is all about. And do you notice what they did? Just like Philip, they used it as an opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. I have hope, he says. I have a rock. That little boy saying, can we sing Jesus loves the little children? And all of us, too, as we face tension or transition or trouble in our own lives, we can use those as opportune moments to say, here's my comfort. Yes, on the outside, I'm extremely uncomfortable. God has turned up the temperature in my life. But on the inside, I'm cool as a cucumber because I know what Jesus has done for me. And even death itself doesn't faze me because I know that after I die, there's an eternity, a new life that will never end. When, when I've been there 10,000 years, I'm just starting, as the old hymn says. I know that the day of my death is going to be the best day of my life because of all that Jesus Christ has done for me. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ. He saw the opposition as an opportunity, really an opening to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. You know, as he went, and, and we see this throughout the book of Acts, every time they went out into various cities and places, later on we're going to see Philip encounter a man from Ethiopia, and he's going to run through the book of Isaiah with this man. And this was not unusual. If you back up to Acts chapter 7, watch what Stephen says. He runs through the entire history of the children of Israel, Everything about Jesus is always anchored in history. And you know why that was, don't you? Why the disciples and the apostles anchored it all in history? Because that's what history is. History is really his story. The story of Jesus Christ redeeming you and me. And it goes all the way back in history to the Garden of Eden where God faced opposition from Adam and Eve to his command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And after they ate and after they sinned and after they brought death into our world, what did God do? He seized the day. He seized the opportunities. He came into the garden himself, personally, to face Satan down. And he pointed to that serpent, that snake, Satan. 
And he said to him, the day is going to come when your head is crushed. I will send a Messiah, a Savior. And the reason these disciples were constantly going back to history is that they saw history as the playing out of the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Savior from sin, to send a Savior from death. And these same disciples had either personally witnessed or heard the witnesses talk about what Jesus himself had done. How Jesus had faced Satan down in his temptation. How Jesus had faced opposition down right up to the Garden of Eden where he's sweating blood for us. And praying, Father, if there's any way, remove this cup from me, but your will be done. And then he's led away, willingly led away to the cross to die for you and me so that our sins can be forgiven. His blood can wash them all away. And three days later, and this too, the early disciples loved to talk about and preach. Three days later, Jesus rose from his grave. And all these accounts in the book of Acts are full of the disciples and the apostles' speaking about the resurrection and the promise that we too will one day rise from our graves through faith in Jesus Christ. When these people heard this, do you see what happened? Imagine all these people stuffed into this city in Samaria. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, you see God, the Holy Spirit, even backed up his preaching with signs. They all paid close attention to what he said. This was an amazing message. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. Underline this. So there was great joy in that city. See, that always happens when the Holy Spirit enters our hearts through the message of the gospel. There's going to be joy. There's going to be comfort and peace and release from our sins, our guilt. Write that down. The preaching of Christ will bring joy. And yet, always understand this too. That the preaching of Christ will also always bring challenge. We see right here in this account, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is the divine power known as the great power. You see, these disciples, regular old people like you and me, had to face the fact that they were going to face down other religions and other spiritual beliefs as they went out to share the gospel. They would face that opposition The people followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. You know, the Apostle Paul tells us point blank when he writes to the Corinthians, you will meet opposition when you share the gospel. Look at what he says in 1 Corinthians 1. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. There it is again. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God 
and the wisdom of God. The preaching of Christ will bring joy, and the preaching of Christ will also bring challenge. And when we go out, as these early disciples did, facing this opposition, holding in our hands, joy is going to be brought to the people I talk to as they understand about the forgiveness of their sins through faith in Jesus Christ. And challenge is going to be there every step of the way because Satan doesn't want this message to be heard. The world doesn't want to hear this message. My own sinful flesh will find all kinds of reasons and excuses not to share this message. Maybe one of those biggest excuses is when we say to ourselves, I have to wait. I have to wait until the conditions are just right. You ever thought that? Maybe this person isn't quite ready to hear the gospel yet. Maybe I'm not quite ready or equipped to share the gospel yet. Maybe the conditions aren't just right. You know what I learned from today's text in Acts chapter 8? That instead of looking for the conditions to be just right, maybe trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit, I should be looking for the conditions to be all wrong. Maybe I should be looking at it and saying, as Paul heard from God, God's power is made perfect in my weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. And not worry about conditions, but step out as the disciples did in the most imperfect conditions and say, let's take this message of Jesus Christ and his forgiveness and salvation to to people everywhere. And let's be reminded what happens when we do that. It's so perfect and so amazing. Let me tell you, when you keep this in mind, being a witness, sharing the gospel, pointing to Jesus Christ, I'm going to warn you, it will become addictive. Because when you begin to see people be changed and you realize that change is not temporary, it's for eternity, there's no greater pleasure or joy than knowing that you've just made a new friend and a new friend for Jesus who will be your friend and Jesus' friend forever. It's an amazing, amazing feeling. Look at what happens here. Even with Simon, this magician, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. The preaching of Christ will bring joy and it will bring challenge, but remember this, it will always also bring about eternal Results. Yesterday morning, I was asked to officiate at a funeral. Mabel died at the age of 89 years old. And 89 years ago, her parents, and I got to thinking about this, committed an audacious act of hope. They, they didn't know that their little daughter, born in Saginaw, Michigan, was one day going to live in Hawaii and Arizona, 
They didn't know that little Maybelle, this little infant that they were holding in their arms, would one day produce six children, five daughters and one son, and 18 grandchildren, and even more great-grandchildren. They did know this. They knew they wanted their daughter to grow up knowing Jesus as her Savior. They knew that they wanted little Mabel to, to be able to grab hold of Jesus through all the opposition that they knew she would face in her life and all the challenges and all the times when she was feeling very uncomfortable doing, d- due to life's circumstances. They wanted her to have the internal joy and comfort of knowing Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. As we saw in the video, during all the times when the garbage in our lives is being heaped up, they wanted her to know all that stuff is just that, mere rubbish that we can cast away for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so what did they do? Her parents baptized Mabel. Now, I want you to think about what an act of hope that is. That, that they know, and they don't know how long it's going to be, but in Mabel's case, 89 years, she's going to face a day. The day of her death. But they also knew that that day of her death could be exactly what we called it a few minutes ago. The greatest day in her life if she was in Christ Jesus and if Jesus Christ was in her and if she knew all that Jesus had done for her at the cross. And so they had her sins washed away in baptism. They had her adopted into God's family 89 years ago to prepare her for three days ago. Isn't it awesome what God has given us the ability to do, whether we're, we're parents or brothers or sisters or friends or coworkers, to be witnesses of his grace, forgiveness, his peace and his comfort, to be able to say to people, do you know what Jesus says to you? He says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that message has been committed to us, and it's fantastic. And that's why, very practically now, as we think about September 18th, I I want you to once again think about investing and inviting God has given you people in your life. And if we can take the time, as these early disciples did, because we know Jesus as our Savior, and invest in those people and invite them September 18th to come to our kickoff, maybe their lives are out of control, right? And maybe they're under a lot of tension themselves or in transition or they've got all kinds of trouble coming down on them. But now what do we know? Perfect. Conditions are miserable. That's the perfect opportunity for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stop looking for 
the right time, the perfect conditions. In fact, just the opposite. I'm going to believe that God's power is made perfect in my weakness and in theirs. So take a look at your next steps. Will you join me in investing, inviting? Last week, I had you write down the name of three people, but here's what I want you to write down this week. Here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for family members, friends, co-workers who are experiencing tension or transition or trouble. And invest in them. Take them out for a cup of coffee. Invest some prayer into them. And then invite them to come to the kickoff of our Out of Control series on September 18th, fall kickoff. Here's your key verse for today. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. What an opportunity we have. An eternal opportunity no matter what opposition people are facing, no matter what opposition you and I are facing. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you promised to take all of the opposition that we face and turn it into an opportunity. In the book of Romans, Lord, you tell us that you can make all things work for good for those who love you, who've been called according to your purpose. Lord, you've called us according to your purpose. And you've loved us in your son, Jesus Christ, and we love you. Lord, take every piece of opposition, every imperfect condition, every person not ready to hear us yet, and turn that into an opportunity for your grace to be known and seen and heard. Your forgiveness and love. to to be moved from our hearts into the hearts of others around us whom you've given to us in our lives. Lord, help us to keep our eyes open for tension and transition and trouble in our own lives that maybe we can use as a, a witness to the story of your grace and in the lives of our friends and neighbors around us. Lord, we know that you can bless and only when you do bless our preaching of the word will it go forth and produce the results. Your word will not return empty, and that's your promise to us. Lord, we lift up all these things to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.